Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If money affects your life in any way, Money Making Sense will talk about it. Be financially healthy, wealthy, and wise. Here's your host, Heather Kelly. Welcome to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we're talking about the Utah State Legislature tax preview. Guess what? They're going in session, and everything they decide is going to affect how much money you have to pay to the government. So joining me today, I have a very special guest, Stuart Adams. He is the president of the Utah State Senate, and also Susan Spears. She's the CEO of Utah Association of Certified Public Accountants. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. So, President Adams, I'm sure you hear this from everybody. Please don't add more taxes to my income and give me money back. So what are you going to do for us all this year? So I'm going to declare again, 2023, the 2023 legislative session will be the year of the tax cut again and again and again. (laughs) Cut taxes three years in a row. And this we're going to do it again this year. Now, here's the thing. The taxes that you collect from us, where does it all go? What does it pay for? Well, we as a state only get income tax and sales tax generally and some gas tax, but we don't get property tax or at least a lot of it. Most of that goes to schools and the local municipalities. So uh, when we get the income tax, most of the income tax goes to education and then uh, most of the sales tax goes to run the rest of the government. But we're doing something again, which I think is historic, cutting taxes three years in a row. But we're, when you ask where it goes, we're not only cutting taxes, but we're going to fund education at record levels again for three years in a row. And that's pretty amazing. Right. Well, my understanding is that we've actually had a surplus every for the last decade or so when you collect this income tax and then you spend it on education, there's a surplus. It doesn't get all spent. So I can understand why you might cut it. But then you've got teachers on the other side saying we need more money. So how does this balance out that you're going to cut taxes but still fund education when you have most of the teachers saying we don't get paid enough? So Utah has the best economy in the nation. Rich states, poor states rated us uh, the best economic outlook. That's Art Laffer, Steve Moore, and Jonathan Williams, three of the great economists. They rate every state in the nation. They look at which state has the best economic outlook. We have the best for 15 years in a row. So we have a great economy. But when you have a great economy, you can do things like I'm talking about. 
you can fund and, and we're going to fund the government service uh, services. We run our budget in the state like you'd run your, your own personal budgets or other budgets. We need to pay for the things that we need for. We need to pay for. Put some away for a rainy day. And then we uh, try to give back the rest. And that's what we're doing. And when you have a good economy, some states do tax cuts. Some states fund projects or spend a lot of money. We're able to fund what we need and do tax cuts at the same time, which is pretty unique to, to any state. The economic report to the governor just was issued. And as much as I love what you're saying, you're going to cut taxes. A lot of what this report says is that our actual economic growth this year in particular, a lot of that depends on what happens on the federal level. We may have a great economic forecast for the last decade or so, but there are some things happening with inflation and the Fed trying to raise interest rates to cut that inflation, which is then affecting the housing market because people aren't buying as much. So then construction isn't constructing as much. There's this whole domino effect happening from the federal level. How how do you plan to accommodate that in your legislative session this year? You are right on. And Utah has always been a safe haven for uh, for economic challenges. And we plan to try to stay that way. On the horizon, and it's something that is very, we're all very aware of, we're, we're concerned about a slowing down of the economy. And you are spot on. Two years ago, when we had an administration that decided that they were going to shut down oil pipelines, we knew that gas prices would rise. Pretty, pretty easy to figure out. We knew, and back in the 80s and 90s, and again in 2000, we had the same thing happen. And gas prices rose. And so when, when gas prices rose, we have inflation. And then when you have inflation, you got to curb that inflation. So you have interest rates come go up. And in the 80s and 90s, they were 18%. And then you have a recession. And we're in that cycle now. We knew two years ago that would happen. So we have put away money a rainy day fund, which we have in the state. And we've taken, we've done something other states haven't done. And that is that we've taken ongoing money, not just a rainy day fund, a savings account, but we're taking ongoing money and spending it on one-time expenses like roads and buildings so that when the downturn comes, we can stop building a road, stop building a building, and use that ongoing money to pay for the ongoing services that we have as a state. So we're able to walk through that downturn. And that's we, we're trying to manage our affairs the same way as you would, again, your personal. Since you talked about that we have money for roads and you've been putting money for a rainy day, why aren't my roads fixed on my way to work? There are huge potholes. So oh, what is going on? The list. I'll send them on. I get those emails all the time. And uh, UDOT does a pretty decent job, but uh, hopefully they're not state roads. They may be local municipalities, and we'll have to talk about that, or counties. But if they're state roads, give me the list, and we'll get them after it, okay? Okay. All right. Susan, what, do you, what are your thoughts on all this, on the legislature's plans to cut taxes? Do you see that as, I know it's helpful in the short term, but what about the long term? Well, a couple things. I, I love the way Utah, by constitution, we are required to have a balanced budget. Our legislative analyst, our financial team, they do a fabulous job of making sure that our budgets are in line, not only for this year, but they're looking out into the future. So when we talk about wanting to make a tax cut, 
and we're pretty conservative. I mean, we're, you know, our analysts are pretty conservative. We feel pretty sure that we can do that. As we look at it from an association standpoint, we're comfortable. Now, you know, if, if somebody were to come in and say we're going to cut the tax rate in half or something like that, we might raise an eyebrow. But we are a very well-run state. We do have extra in the kitty, if you will, because we do budget. We do save for that rainy day. And we know that there are things that we need to do moving forward. And those are all in part of the big strategy, which is something that I appreciate not only as a citizen, but as somebody that has the opportunity to work with our legislature on these issues. So we've had this kitty and this slush fund for many years now. So have we ever dipped into it? Do we ever dip into that slush fund? Or is this just a talking point for those in power to say, oh, but we've got this reservoir of funds, and but, you know, then nobody touches it. What good does that do? We have in, in 2007, 8, and 9. And we, and again, the savings account, that's, that's a little bit of a, a rainy day fund, and that's where everybody points is to that statutory rainy day fund that we have in our bank account. But in reality, uh, most downturns go more than one year. And so that's just that doesn't give you much cushion unless you just have to go buy a car or something. What gives us that flexibility is that ongoing uh, money that I talked about. And I actually ran the bill, Senate Bill 229, that took uh, uh, a big portion, almost 20% of our sales tax, and allocated it to road construction. Again, a lot of that sales tax is generated by automobile sales and others. So it was basically automobile-related sales. But we in 2006 and 7 and 8, and I think it was 7 and 8, really, where the downturn happened, uh, about $600 million was going into that fund. We took $300 million out. And again, that's why we didn't have to necessarily shut down a lot of the functions of government during that period of time. Other states really struggled during the last economic downturn in the, in the eight and nine period of time. Utah pretty much walked through it. And I believe the reason was, was that we had that, those, those ongoing funds that were, were being spent on one-time money. And at that, that allowed us to do that. And right now we don't have seven or eight hundred million. We have about a billion and a half because instead of bonding for buildings, uh, which we used to do, and then we moved to paying cash for them, now we've got an ongoing revenue source that we put toward buildings again to be able to give us that flexibility. Uh, two years ago, we put in the education stabilization fund, and that's almost up to half a billion dollars of ongoing money that is being allocated to education but not spent so that if there's a downturn, we can dip into that $500 million of ongoing money to continue to pay educa educator scout salaries. So, and we're looking at tax cut. And I'd like to say that uh, again, Susan, thank you for your, your comments. We're, we want to be prudent. We want to give back to the taxpayers what we should, but we like to measure twice and cut once because we don't want to make a mistake. And, and when we, we'll do a tax cut, we'll make sure that it's done properly within the, the, the scope of what we need as far as the resources for the state. And I just want to say you're talking about an income tax cut. 
Well, we're looking at everything and, and everything's on the table. We've had requests, uh, property tax. We don't get a lot, so it's really hard for us to do much of a property tax cut. People have talked about Social Security, which is a, a specific income tax, uh, removing the, the, the income on Social Security tax. Uh, they've talked about a lot of different things, sales tax on food. Uh, one of the challenges with taking the sales tax off of food is, uh, again, our income tax is constitutionally uh, supposed to be spent on education. The food tax is not income tax, it's sales tax. We have lots of income tax. We don't have a lot of sales tax. When you take the sales tax off, it makes our structural imbalance worse because that just makes us more reliant on income tax, which we can't spend on thing on the rest of government. So that becomes a little problematic. And then I believe that income tax, and I think most economists believe that at, when you reduce income tax, income tax is a tax on productivity. And maybe to over-exaggerate a little bit, if 100% of your income was taxed and you send it all into us, there wouldn't be any motivation to work. And so the more you tax, the less you get typically of something. So when you remove the tax on income tax, you, you allow people to have more motivation to go work. And that, uh, that every, every economist that I've talked to said that the tax you get the most economic benefit from is removing the tax on income. A lot of states don't have any. Yeah. But the social security tax that you're talking about, that is for all of our futures when we retire. And some people, as much as we would love that they have tried to save and did 401ks and IRAs and all that, sometimes they don't. And so if you remove their only safety net, which is social security, how are you going to help these people when they retire? Well, we've been working on that. As I mentioned, this will be the third year of the tax cut. So now, if you make $62,000 or less, you pay no Social Security tax in the state of Utah. And we can keep raising that up. There are some that believe that if you have somebody who makes a lot of money, you shouldn't, uh, they shouldn't pay Social Security. They should pay Social Security tax. But that'll be a debate, and that's on the table this year. But right now, we've, we've made inroads with that. We've done what we could. Right. And anybody that makes less than $62,000 a year collects Social Security, pays no state income tax on their Social Okay. Security. I do need to let for our listeners know uh, that, President Stewart, you are a Republican. And yes. sort of the Republican platform for generations has been get rid of Social Security is this your deep-seated secret way of if we just don't collect it, that the fund will eventually run out and then, oh, ha, we just got rid of it by default? Well, I'm not talking about the, the federal government collects Social Security tax. I'm talking about the tax on money you receive once you start getting Social Security. Okay. So, so that's your income. So when you retire or you get to age 62 or 65 or 70, whenever you decide to take your Social Security benefits and you're getting that income, we're not going to tax that income. But you're, we, don't, we don't have any control over the Social Security benefit. Uh, that, 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 I mean, the amount that they take from you while you're working. There is a Social Security tax. and I just wanted clarification on that because it's kind of a big one. <laughs> 
All right, we need to take a break. When we come back, I want to move on to uh, the food tax and talk about where that goes. So we'll be right back with President Stuart Adams. He is the Senate president in Utah. And also we have Susan Spears, the CEO of UACPA. It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to Money Making Sense, the show that it affects your life in any way money-wise. We're talking about it, and today we're talking about the legislature starting a new session in Utah, and they're going to affect our taxes. So joining me is the president of Utah State Senate, Stuart Adams, and also Susan Spears, the CEO of UACPA. President Adams, I do want to discuss the food tax. I know that right now there are two bills that may be presented when sessions start that are asking to get rid of the food sales tax in Utah. What can you tell us about those? One of the challenges we have, opportunities for challenges, one of the things we deal with is in Utah, we have a constitutional amendment that basically requires us to spend all of our income tax on education. But when you kind of tie our hands or anyone's hands and says you have to spend that pot of money on education, that leaves you only one revenue source to run the entire rest of the state government, and that's sales tax. So when you start to remove the sales tax on food or other sales taxes and restrict the ability to receive that revenue, you really cause a challenge for the state government. And Taking the sales tax off of food is very popular. It's something that people want, but it probably needs to be done in conjunction to modifying or changing that constitutional amendment. So we have flexibility to use income tax on other things that that sales tax on food would be paying for. Maybe this is in one of the bills, but if the food sales tax contributes 10% to the everything else fund that it is paying for. Why can't the laws then say, okay, well then the income tax, 10% of it has to go to make up for the food tax. I mean, why can't it just be a quid pro quo? So the reason for that is in order to to do a constitutional amendment, uh, usually you have to have a referendum or a, or, or the legislature has to pass a bill and then you send it out for a popular vote with the people. And if, if the citizens vote on that uh, piece of legislation as a constitutional amendment, it gets embedded in our constitution and you can't change it. So in order to use that income tax and do what you just said, use 10% of the income tax, we would have to pass a bill and then put it on the, the ballot for the people to vote on to be able to change that part of the Constitution. And you may see a bill that allows that now, and that's how cumbersome it is when you put when you put monetary policy inside the Constitution, it becomes somewhat problematic. And all of us want to fund education. We, we funded it at record levels, 
but it, this I'm not sure the income tax uh, earmark has really done what it what, what people thought it might do. I do go by the motto on my personal life, like I must have a slush fund or an emergency fund. So I love that Utah has that. But if if you have one point something billion dollars in there right now, I mean, I'm hoping that most of the educators will go, okay, I only need a billion. I can get rid of the point whatever is over that billion dollars and put that back into the rest of the state. Uh, That'll be part of the discussion as we talk about tax cuts this year during the session and how we implement that and sales tax on, on food and income tax and social security and property tax are all on the table and it will be a very robust discussion. So your, your listeners will want to pay attention as do we have those, as we have those discussions up here. All right, Susan, what do are you hearing about the food tax and how is that affecting people, especially this year since inflation was just so rampant and it really, that inflation really hit food prices this year. So then taxing on top of that just made it worse. You're right. It hurts. It, it hurts a lot. And we, you know, we worry about that, especially with our lower income people. One thing that you also have to keep in mind when we talk about sales tax on food is the states get a portion, but also so do the municipalities. So if I recall, and I think the state gets 1.75% and the municipalities get 1.25% on the food tax, you know, that 3% that you see on your receipt. So it is a very robust conversation because we're also talking about now, are we cutting budgets of our municipalities that really rely on that sales tax on food? And how do we jockey those monies around? The one thing that I do like about the state of Utah is we do have a lot of programs for those who are struggling. So, you know, I mean, we have the WIC program, we have food stamps, we have a lot of different programs that will help give give some offset for that tax that they're paying because it does add up to be a lot. I don't know if you know any of this information, President Adams, but since prices are so much higher now on food, how is the WIC program dealing with that? Have they added more money to the people on the program? How are we getting that funded? I believe there's an inflationary adjustment. What that is, I don't know, but I could find that out. But I, it, the inflation has moved so rapidly and so fast. I don't have those exact numbers, but uh, there'd have to be some type of increase. And Susan's right on. We can remove the one or one and and three quarter percent state tax and deal with that in our own budget. But when we start to remove the one and a quarter cent, uh, one and a quarter percent that the municipalities get, uh, that becomes problematic because some of those cities have bonded for infrastructure or other things and we wipe away their revenue stream. We don't want them defaulting on bonds, and, and, and then we have more control over the 171.75, but when people talk about taking the sales tax off of food, I think they envision it will all be removed, but the municipalities, it's pretty hard for us to step on a, a mayor or a city council who have voted to put that tax on and then go tell them they have to take it off or do it statutorily on a state level, so it it is it is complex. Does it have to be an all or nothing with the food tax? Can't you just remove the state sales tax portion of f- for food and leave the municipality? Yes, and that's what that's what in all probability would happen if we do it. 
But again, we need to work out that balance with our income tax. I know there's a couple other really big issues that Utah is tackling, and one of that is water, water conservation. How much money are we trying to set aside to pay for keeping more water in our state and also to educate people on not watering their lawn every other day? Water is a big issue. We have plenty of ground. Our limiting factor for growth is, in fact, water. And I'm optimistic, and I would say thank you, whether it's prayers or whatever else. We're at 200% of normal this year, and we hope it continues. So I'm very grateful for that. But we still live in the second driest state in the, in the nation. So we've got to work on water. And there's only two things I think you can do with water, or two things you can focus on. One is to conserve. And the other is to try to develop or find additional uh, water resources. We're going to do both. And uh, there's been some innovative ideas that have come up recently. And uh, we are actually on a trade mission in Israel. And the Israelis are very, uh, very industrious and very innovative. And we use a drip system here where you drip water around the base of the plant or drip it on their leaves. And we think that's a lot better than flood irrigation or sprinkling. But the Israelis have actually developed a subsurface drip. It goes under the ground, and even with the, our, reg, our regular drip system here, there's evaporation. They have no evaporation on their subsurface. And then they, it goes right to the root of the plant, and then they actually add fertilizer to it. And they're able to get twice the crop yield for half of the water. And we're going to probably... Uh, with some of the some of the one-time money we have this year we're probably going to try to help fund some of those projects because if we can if we can use half the water that we need for agriculture than we're using now that would be a, a great resource for us as a state so i i'm optimistic that we're going to be able to to solve some of our water problems the other thing about water is the development side as i mentioned so we're going to try to conserve, you know, cons and there's ways to do conservation as far as landscaping our personal residences and other things. But then we want to develop some. And water is not, water, the, the water challenges of the drought is just not isolated to Utah. And you got Idaho and Wyoming and Colorado and, and Montana and Arizona, Nevada and California. We're all kind of in this together, the Intermountain West. And we need to collaborate more with them because I believe there are water resources available. I've talked to people in other states and they have ideas. Uh, we have people from Kansas said, go tap the Mississippi River, bring it back through Kansas, we'll help you. And I've talked <laughs> to people in Montana that say there's water in, in Canada. But this is truly a multi-state effort and we need to work with those states. I mean, you could breach the continental divide with a pipeline and that water going to the Missouri into the Mississippi could be brought back this way. Or there's other ideas out there, but I don't see us sitting back and and drying up and letting our letting our quality of life deteriorate. We are gonna we're gonna find a way to solve this problem. And it's gonna be through innovative ways to conserve and innovative ways to develop new water resources. When you talk about we're not gonna let this happen, the Great Salt Lake is 40% of it has been lost in the last decade. 
So we only have a few more years before we reach the point of no return. And if we're just in the discussions and it's going to take three years for anybody to decide what's the best way to go. And by that time, it's too late. So what do you do if the Great Salt Lake is gone? We're on it. We put several hundred million dollars last year into water conservation. And we're seeing some of the effects of it this year. We'll do the same. Uh, we'll do the same in this legislative session. And we're not sitting back and we're not waiting, but we're going to implement policies that will help. Now, uh, again, we can be grateful for the snowpack we have this year. But regardless of that, uh, to your point, you're exactly right. And we're not going to sit back and wait. Some of these larger projects will take time. There's no question about it. But some of the other conservation products pro, pro, uh, processes uh, we could have in within a year or two. So it, it's a multi it's a multi phased effort, and it will take all hands on deck. It'll take everyone uh, as we walk through this problem. But again, I'm optimistic we'll get it done. I I just don't believe uh, we're not going to. I think Utahns will respond, and we have a lot more resources now than we had in the past. That couple hundred million dollars that you mentioned that you put toward trying to save the Great Salt Lake last year, where did that money come from? Again, that was money and that we had that when we budget every year, we try to budget conservatively. As I mentioned before, we're a very well-managed state. So last year, when we set our budget, we try to estimate very accurately, but we try to estimate low. I, I'll be because we don't want to spend too much money. Right. So if we estimate low, we have at the end of the year money that's not spent. We call it one-time money because it's not ongoing. It's just that one-time amount of money we didn't spend. So we really can't use that on salaries or on ongoing expenses for the state. So that's the money that we allocated, and we will allocate again. That money that we didn't spend last year that was above our budget that came in, that one-time money is what we're spending on those one-time projects of water. Susan, anything to add to this particular conversation? It's certainly not my bailiwick, but, you know, being kind of the numbers person and whatnot, but I like to comment that we're all in this together. We've all been told to conserve and you know, we noticed even just taking care of our own yard, and we've got a pretty good-sized garden in that, just doing the drip systems or shortening water times or timing when you water, being intentional about how you're using your indoor water. You, you know, we all can play a role in this, and we saw that last year as we as we went through, I think, one of the worst droughts that we've been in, but we were able to still stay underneath that water curve and not make things worse. Do I think it's going to take some time? Absolutely. This is not a a one and done. This will be continued efforts moving forward. We have a long ways to come, and it's going to take all of us. And I just want to put out there that as great as this year has been for the Western U.S., so much so that California is now flooding, but it's going to take at least three years in a row of this exact winter that we're just going through before we actually start turning the tide. So You're right can... on, and we know that. But even if we even if we have those three years, we live in the second driest state in the nation. We have to be we have to be at this 
and we aren't going to we aren't going to back away even if we have those three years because those innovative uh, uh, irrigation systems or innovative ways to conserve water or going out to try to develop new water we're not going to stop the the generations before me developed echo and wanship and and all the dams up uh, up in the mountains that gave them far more water than they ever would need in their lifetime but they were looking to the next generations and we just can't stay focused on today we have to look up to the next generations and we're going to we're going to stay at it but i'm i just am i don't know why i'm optimistic but i think there's a, we're we're going to go after it and we're going to solve some of those water problems but we're going to look way beyond today we're going to take one more break. When we come back, we'll we'll just check to make sure uh, we haven't missed anything. So we'll be right back with Susan Spears, the CEO of UACPA, and also Stuart Adams. He is the president of the Utah State Senate. Welcome back to Money Making Sense, the show that talks about all things money. Today, we're talking about where your taxes might be going. And the Utah State Legislature is going to start session next week, and they're going to decide what to do with all of our money. So joining me today is President Stuart Adams of the Utah State Senate, and also Susan Spears, the CEO of UACPA. President Adams, we have the largest population of kids per capita in the country, and they all need to get educated. So how are we paying for them to go to school? Well, thank you. You're, you're, you're right that our birth rate is twice the national average. So we have a lot of kids and we spend uh, most of over 50% of our budget on education. And that's one of the top in the nation. We're usually in the top five or 10 states as far as percent of budget spent on education. However, we have a lot of kids. So doesn't make sense. Just because you have a lot of kids doesn't mean that you can justify saying that you should make 800000 a year. And that's kind of how the mentality is when they say about per pupil spending in Utah. We, again, spend consistently over 50% of our budget on education. And that's not going to stop in the future. And every legislator I talk to wants to fund education and make sure our kids have a, a, a future that we want them to have. But as we've been funding education at record levels, we've looked at the data and our education spending's gone up, our funding has gone up, but the amount that the school teacher has not been keeping up with it. And so this year, we're going to not just increase and fund the WPU at a significant amount, but we're probably going to fund directly to each teacher an increase in their salary. Uh, between four and six thousand dollars, and try to get the teacher salaries up, uh, because again they've been somewhat lagging behind uh, with the the funding that we've done. So that's one of the things you'll see come out this year. Does all of that money to education only go to teacher salaries, or does it go to build new buildings or their upkeep or anything like that? Well, when we fund education, it goes to everything from uh, transportation, buses, to counselors, to everything else. And we will fund that again this year. What they And the way we do that is we fund it through a weighted pupil unit. They call it a WPU on the number of students. But this funding I'm talking about will be totally separate from that. It'll, this will be new funding going directly to the teacher. And the other thing that we will do is there was a recent Dan Jones 
there was a question about whether uh, parents should be able to take their their education dollars that have been allocated that WPU weighted pupil, pupil unit wherever they want to go with their student whether they want to go to another private public school they want to go to a private school they want to go to a charter school they want to do homeschooling the results of the polls were that almost well, 59% or 60% of the people said that uh, they wanted that flexibility and only 32% said they didn't. So we're probably gonna look at a system that allows uh, parents to be able to have some, some degree of school choice this year. And that will be another uh, thing we'll look at. So if we, if we end up with additional funding for educators, again, a good funding for, for schools and the ability for parents to choose, that'll be a pretty balanced approach uh, this year. Those charter schools, are able to pay more money to their teachers because maybe they have outside funding, not just from the government, then you're left with teachers who aren't getting paid as much and maybe not be as good in the public schools. And now those children aren't getting the same type of education. How do you address that? Well, this actually helps fix that problem. And the reason it would is that whatever money that would be allocated to the parents to take with them would be less than we're currently allocating for that student. So when you have that reserve, that, that residual money there, that can be divided up among the rest of the students. It actually increases that per pupil amount. And studies have been shown, this isn't a unique concept. Other states have given school choice. Those are concerned, but they statistically and from what we can tell from other states, they, they just hasn't been the case. Susan, any thoughts on, on the education choice? I like it. I mean, we have kids that have different needs that maybe some schools can't address as well as others. I'm thinking we've got a little grandson that goes to a different elementary school than his little sister because that school can address some of his needs better. And I think that to have that flexibility is a need. I mean, it's becoming more of a, more of a need with our parents and some of the challenges that our kids are having. And I think that's what the polls showed. And and again, we've we've had a school choice for a long time in Utah for autistic kids, and it's worked very well. Again, a student with autism takes with them less money than we'd spend on them in the public school, but those school teachers can't be everything to everyone. And if you have the ability to have that choice with particular students that have some problems, I think it could actually help them and unburden them with some of those specific challenges. I have one last thing to bring up. I know there's a ton out there, but energy. How are we addressing energy? Where are our tax dollars going in the infrastructure of energy? Are you trying to get more coal-based energy? Are you going for solar? What's happening here in Utah? Every automobile manufacturer, I think, on the planet is, has said they're going to go to electric vehicles. We're going to make that transition. But when you make it prematurely, here's what happens. Again, you shut down a pipeline, gas prices increase, uh, gas after gas prices increase, and you have additional federal spending behind it. You get inflation, high interest rates, then the recession. And in Utah, uh, we have oil in eastern Utah. We need to continue to try to develop every energy source, whether it's oil, whether it's coal, whether it's renewables, wind, solar, hydrogen, all of it, because we will make this transition. But when you move prematurely, like we've done, 
you cause this inflationary pressure and the recession that that we're we're looking at. So in Utah, we actually need to continue to 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 refine oil in North Salt Lake and and trying to drive those oil prices down. We we are a beacon. We lead. We need to continue to leave and, and developing all resources, one of them oil and one of them coal. And we need to continue to give that base baseline power even to our electric grid until we can make this move to renewables done in, in a very seamless and systematic fashion. My understanding with our oil refineries in northern Utah is that most of that oil, once it's refined, doesn't stay in this state. So that doesn't drive any of our prices down to just keep making more here if it's not staying here. Well, a lot of it stays, but it really doesn't. The more that's produced, whether it's here or in Texas or anywhere else, uh, supply and demand are a, a factor in the economy. But the more we can produce... The, the lower the price is going to be. It just is. Come on up to the Hill and be involved in committee meetings. One of the things, UACPA, the CPA is involved. I mean, we get involved in tax policy, labor issues and all that. But there's great discussion. The more people that get involved, that can give a good solid opinion with some good backup as as our legislators, they're, they're generalists, if you will. I mean, it's a part-time legislature and... Um, I think we've seen some good policies made because of the testimonies of our public. We have, and I would just say real quickly is that I think I come up with good ideas, but I my ideas get a ton better when they're vetted by the other 103 legislators, but they get really good when they're vetted by the public because we do things, even though I think I come up with good ideas that have unintended consequences. We don't hear from Again, uh, those CPAs, you do a very appreciate your great input. Uh, those that deal with the day-to-day tax structure and other things that we, we do up here. Or we hear from other people in the community that have experiences that we and expertise we just don't have. So they have to be vetted. Every idea needs to be vetted. They need to be vetted by legislators. They need to be vetted by the public. And that's where we come up. And that's why Utah, I think, is well managed, because that's when we come up with the very best ideas. So here in Utah, the public is allowed to come and go to some of those hearings and meetings as you're discussing bills. Where can people go to find the schedule of what is being discussed? So if something is of um, importance to them, they'll know when that's happening. Very simple. Go to the Internet, Google Utah Legislature, go to our homepage, and you'll find it all there. Now, the last couple of years, we didn't have in-person meetings for that. So the public was allowed to tune in virtually, and also they had time to ask questions. Are you doing a combination of online and in-person this year, or is it only in-person? There are many challenges that came from the pandemic, but one of the great things that came from the pandemic is this Zoom or virtual system that we have. We take virtual testimony. We probably always will now. So you can be in your home in Vernal, Moab, St. George, Logan. You can come into the committee hearing, register, and you may not have a lot of time because there's a lot of people that want to speak, but you'll have one or two minutes to give your input. Great. Susan, any more thoughts about this year's uh, legislative session and how the people can get involved? Because what the legislature decides, if we haven't made this clear enough, it actually affects us. They are deciding where our money is going. We may not have much choice of how much income tax is taken out, but we can make help 
the legislature make the choices of where they're going to send our money? You know, I think it's going to be a rigorous legislative session this year. I think it's going to be a very robust legislative session this year. But my, my observation as I participated in the past is our legislators care, number one. They want to do the right thing. And in order to do that, there does need to be public input. But um, I, I do appreciate that our legislature does have the interests of our Utah citizenry at heart. Any final words, President Adams? I appreciate you bringing more awareness and getting the word out. And hopefully we'll be able to have good good results of this 45-day session because all of your, your listeners will be here giving us uh, their ideas. Okay. Well, thank you so much. My guests today were Stuart Adams. He is the president of the Utah Senate. And also Susan Spears, the CEO of Utah Association of Certified Public Accountants. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can email me with any questions or topics you want to hear about at hkelly at ksl.com. That's h-k-e-l-l-y at ksl.com. And because this is Money Making Sense, you can subscribe for free on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast, and you'll never miss another episode. Thanks for being a Money Making Sense listener. Follow your common sense on the social media, Money Making Sense, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said, you need to give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.